0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: Hello, welcome to episode 17 of Pints and Politics UK. I'm Johnny and uh, Adam stuck yes stuck in a public house that is um that is because actually the pubs across the UK including Wales Scotland and Ireland the devolved nations which as I stress now in most episodes is often separate to the governance uh, or, or the decisions made in the UK because they're under uh, sorry in England because they're under separate governance but yes they're all open and people are enjoying the pubs not me yet and not Gus yet because we're actually working people yes Gus is back for episode numero two how are yeah. you doing hello Gus. yeah yeah I just
0: very excited to be here for a for a second episode I'm sort of like I'll a... Last minute substitute, if you like,
1: <laughs> like, uh, uh, exactly. I can't think of maybe an Oligon of Solskjaer of '99. Yeah. Uh, wrong podcast, really, sub. wrong podcast, but uh, for that kind of uh jargon language, but um, yeah, essentially, I couldn't begrudge Adam his opportunity to um, to reconcile with his long lost love, which has been absent for the past three months, uh, because uh four, which is beer. Well, no, it's not just beer, because beer has been in quite plentiful supply in the Bregan household, but it is actually the ability to um reminisce with a beer in the confinement of a public house. Now that sounded very elegantly put like a the middle class charlatan that I pretend to be. But uh yeah. I think what, uh,
0: what you mean is to be drunk
1: in public hey, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> done some of these podcasts pretty drunk, but we'll touch on actually the roadmap opening up because there has been a lot opening up this week. And I was tempted to start with this as the main topic and I kind of it might end up blending into the, the main topic in, in some respects. Probably will do, but what we'll focus on slightly for the main topic Gus, What's been going on really this week, I think, has been the Indian variant rise or surge that's come to the UK. Had lots of people frantically worried, uh, particularly governmental scientists and the government themselves. And we've seen spikes in places in the northwest, like Bolton and Blackburn and Burnley, uh, quite close to my um, household. However, recent data suggests the vaccines are actually generally counteracting the indian variant so where do we sit on the variant because What 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 we're thinking
0: yeah it seems uh sort of similar story to i believe it was a brazilian variant and also mm-hmm. the uh the british variant that we had where they're just mm-hmm. sort of the any sort of changes from let's just say basic coronavirus seems Mm. to just be in terms of the ability to spread more effectively rather than the ability to uh, cause any additional damage to people seems to be, you know, everyone seems to be happy that the vaccines are doing a good enough job. And I think the fact that we still were sort of in a, some sort of lockdown, Mm -hmm. not really, but you know, we still had some restrictions on, uh, probably allowed them a greater bit of control. than if we'd come all the way out, and then they had to start piling stuff back on to control the spread. So I think I, think I saw the other day that about 36 million uh, people in the UK have had their first dose.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Pretty healthy number. Mm. Um,
1: have you? Have you had your, your share?
0: I haven't had anything yet. No. My, both my parents have had both their doses. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had anything yet. I think I'm. Right at the bottom of the pile, to be honest.
1: Oh, I mean, me and Adam have had ours, actually. It's uh, our first. Um, I, in Wales, I know there's a slight discrepancy between England in that they're really pushing forward uh, to get everyone done as quickly as possible because, again, Adam uh, doesn't really have too many underlying medical conditions and he, he found himself getting his first jab last week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, there, there is this speedy rollout that is going on and has been going on for quite some time, and and for you, I mean, because you, you have scientific background, generally with the variants and the concern with the variants. I think the, the general worry is that variants are mutations of the original virus, and with each passing different mutation, I guess there's a the worry has always been and will always be that one is different enough that the vaccine cannot deal with it i mean what is the possibility do you think of that potentially happening um
0: not Um, not necessarily with the indian variant but at some
1: point with all. uh, i think i
0: think there's always a i think there's always a possibility you know um probably one of the it's like literally one of the reasons why the cold the common cold cannot be eradicated because there's just so many different versions so many different mutations that I, i mean the cold's effectively harmless anyway Uh, But, you know, there's so many different versions. Um, Viruses, I believe, tend to mutate quite quickly. Mm. Um, I think I read somewhere that generally when a virus mutates, it tends to get weaker rather than stronger. So Mm. Mm. um, whether that's true or not for coronavirus, I don't know. But, you know, Mm. I think eventually, given some level of combination uh, of time, number of cases amount of opportunity it has to spread there probably will be a version eventually that um isn't isn't uh cured or prevented by the mm. vaccine in full mm. whether that'll be all vaccines or just one particular type because they all i think have different mechanisms for uh, mm. granting the uh, the recipient immunity mm. so yeah i think mean it's possible but
1: i mean, I'm what, not... what happens in that situation then because um... Of course, with the Indian variant, there's been the suggestion or was the suggestion at least a few days ago uh, being recorded on the Thursday of this week. Uh, A few days ago, there was a suggestion that they might bring back the traffic light or the tier system for certain areas that had vast amounts of people uh, who were were suffering from the Indian variant or who had... um, who, who had got the Indian variant and they were suggesting that maybe local lockdowns needed to be enforced again. Um, so with your suggestion that other variants might happen at some point in the future, we can't rule it out. Do you think that's ever a feasible strategy to go back to that tier system
0: because it was quite a flawed system wasn't it where if it, yeah I think uh, I think the whole system in general was quite it was a, it was a botched it was a botched job. You know you have the three tiers. Uh, and they didn't think for a minute, okay, so let's set one tier to be as worse as it can possibly be. Let's Mm. call that a full lockdown. And let's set one tier to be basically back to normal and then have the ones in the middle. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, this one's pretty bad. This one's normal. And then this one's relatively good. Mm. And they didn't think for a minute that we'd go straight back into a full lockdown. And they had to revamp the tier system. Hopefully they've learned from that. Yeah, um, I think they did say at one point that they didn't want to do local lockdowns anymore. They wanted to bring the whole country out in, yeah. in full together yeah. as, as one unit, but I think when you've got a country, especially like England, where you've got uh, 55 million people, yep. uh, a lot of which in are sort of clustered in mm. city towns and suburbs, I think it's always going to be hard to say, okay, we're going to bring it all out in unison because mm. um, where I live, for example, mm. not really any big towns for ten or twenty miles. I mean, uh, I mean, your garden stretches fifty acres, there, doesn't it? So yeah, it's quite difficult. Yeah, the garden, the gardens, five of those. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. but yeah, you own, I think you own the other two properties.
1: Yeah, just yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in uh, yeah, in general, you just there's just less people. It spreads less. That's how yeah. it. That's how it works. Like so, to to say you're going to treat somewhere like where I live, mm. the same as uh, in London. It feels like, um, it feels sort of like when you're in school and one person's uh, disrupting the class and the whole class gets kept behind.
1: Yeah. Um, you feel like you felt that the, the, the short end of that straw, probably the <laughs> recipient of a clown in the classroom. I'm sure it wasn't yourself. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there was also the... Um, also the flaw generally that when you'd have the tier three, which was, which was really bad and, and lots of restrictions, tier two, which was less than tier one, which was even less restrictions. Anyone in a tier three or tier two area would just simply go on the bus or the train or drive to the tier one area and then go into the tier one. Yeah. That's what happened quite often. And it was, that was one yeah. of the flaws because then they get a surge in coronavirus cases and then it just would not it
0: Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't work. It didn't do enough to isolate people. Uh, areas effectively and also i feel really quite bad for some of the people it didn't seem to do anything at all to reduce no. the number of cases so i feel really quite bad for people who were in tier 3 effectively from october hello start of november <laughs> then you had a, a, that one month circuit breaker lockdown
1: yeah
0: that we are in then you know we had uh if you're in tier 3 again or tier 4 as they as they added on for yeah. all the way through Christmas. Then you had another three month lockdown. Yeah. Looking at six months of uh, lockdown. Meanwhile, everyone else has had at least a few like one month breaks. Sure. Um, But mm-hmm. it doesn't, tier three didn't seem to do a great deal to reduce no. the cases no. uh, or anything. So generally yeah. then we think that
1: so far the the, the signs are that the vaccine does a job against the variants, which is really good if there was a variant that seemed to counteract the vaccine and therefore caused the rise in cases, it would probably be unlikely that the that the lock, another lockdown would come into play because, like you said, with each variant, even the cold is presumably uh, untreatable because, uh, what, what were you saying with that, Gus? Because there's just too many versions, too many of, versions it. of it. So, in essence, with, with this coronavirus, even there is a surge in cases in different places, unless it goes drastically high across the board and there's literally no alternative, it seems highly unlikely that Britain or, or England, or, well, we'll call it Britain, will end up yeah. in another national lockdown. We think that ship has probably sailed and we think that the tiered system that was employed before that was suggested might come back this week probably won't come back either because there were just too many flaws to it.
0: I, th- I think so. And one more thing I would probably add to that is, the, the vaccines, so just on the topic of vaccines mm-hmm. protecting against uh, variants, the vaccines that are being rolled out now mm. are effectively modified. They've, these vaccines have been on, on some level of technological or production readiness, mm. maybe for, let's say, five years. Mm-hmm. Not specifically for coronavirus, but be, these will be another type of vaccine that's designed to treat another type of virus that's similar and they'll be modified in some way. It's similar to how I think they say they want to treat it like the flu, mm. where the flu vaccine every year you get a seasonal flu shot, and it is basically for the most common variants of the flu that they expect to be around that year. So I think even if there was even if there was a a variant of coronavirus or COVID that was perhaps uh, too strong or um, could not be prevented by the vaccines, I think. Mm -hmm. setback wouldn't be as great as perhaps the uh the thinking of it would be maybe you know let's say another year let's say another nine months Mm -hmm. to, to to modify the existing vaccines but i think from just from the perspective of how i see it now the vaccines seem to be fairly robust they seem to be fairly effective even if they're not as effective with certain variants they seem to be on some level able to stop the to stop the um stop people getting COVID still, which is in the right direction. Nice mashing.
1: Well a, a, a nice positive outlook to finish main topic. Um on to other topics now then and generally we sort of touched on this a little bit. There has been a relaxing of the restrictions this week in the UK. We've discussed this over the past few weeks of the podcast because um we had a previous set of relaxings a few weeks ago and now we're on to the next stage. Um, these include thirty people being allowed to gather outside, indoor pubs and restaurants opening, theatres and cinemas opening, fans in stadiums. We've seen the return of uh, fans in football stadiums in small 30 quad- people. Yeah, small quad- <laughs> more than thirty, I'll say. That's a, no uh, a couple of thousand actually attending uh, most uh, venues in the in the Premier League at least uh, this season. Uh, there's now no masks in schools. Holidays are allowed with a with a a traffic light system, uh, which is uh, interesting. Depending on where you can go and where, where you should go, where you probably shouldn't go, but you can go because it's amber, and then where you definitely shouldn't go, I think that's red. Um, got holiday hotels open. Got care home visitors extended to five, so that'll be great for for families reuniting. And now we can hug. Um, again, I imagine many people have hugged before this. In someone in their bubble, but if they haven't, then they can now hug again.
0: Guilty as charged. I've, I've given someone a hug. Oh, so who probably? Uh, L. Oh, I think it was last summer. So I don't think we were in a. Uh, uh, for, I don't think we're in any sort of lockdown. For context,
1: you know. L uh, is a biological scientist turned teacher, uh, who both myself and Gus know, but Gus knows better than me which is uh, from university i'm sure she could give some actual um, interesting insight into the vaccines and how they work but another one altogether um yeah i guess yeah i get i, I mean it, that, there has been some quite significant changes there particularly I think, I think the biggest change really is the the flexibility now with indoor activity because before we had the beer gardens open we had outdoor sports returning uh, it didn't feel quite um, complete as such i mean people were gathering in beer gardens it's throwing it down it's minus three degrees outside there's all them empty chairs inside but you can't go and and sit on them because coronavirus restrictions but now you can now that all of these other outdoor venues indoor venues are open sorry so again semblance of normality a little bit closer
0: yeah it's a big step towards Big big step towards getting it back to getting it back to normal i think and uh I think the, the beer, the beer gardens was uh, was nice, but I think it came at the wrong time of the year for the uh, yeah the weather that we've had it was ridiculous. Um, it was throwing it down at times. Been and, yeah. and... I've, I've been once, and I sat yeah. outside and the uh, the restaurant I went to. The patio heaters were broken. Yeah, um, and it was cold. <laughs> I, I, I also went
1: once. Uh, it was it was very cold. Um and again I thought the next time we go it will be inside because it and, and it was also quite awkward because they were trying to enforce social distancing measures outside when quite clearly it wasn't it wasn't uh evidenced across the whole of the outdoor compartment. I was just a little bit more um diplomatic than some of the other people when it came to uh listening to the person trying to enforce social distancing measures. That was a nice way of putting that. Uh but yeah, no, I'll be definitely delighted uh, uh, that the pubs particularly are open inside, and also yeah. restaurants as well. It's great, and and lots of other things to do now. So that's really good. Um, generally, not much more to say on that. I suppose we'll probably touch on holidays another probably week. Um, I think
0: uh, I think in Scotland it's slightly different. Yeah, so slight variance
1: to, in the, across the road. I went
0: to uh, I went to Edinburgh two weeks ago. Yeah. I think holiday home seven, um, yeah. holiday home number seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're allowed to in Edinburgh. You're allowed to eat inside already Mm -hmm. Uh, you're just not allowed to drink alcohol inside
1: um but and again you touch on it it's really important the devolved nations have different rules so Ireland Wales and Northern Ireland sorry Wales and Scotland will follow different guidelines depending on what their devolved governments say so Scotland will be under the rule of SNP and then Welsh Labour will be in charge there and you know and Northern Ireland have their own government as well so very worth mentioning that and we'll probably touch on i think one of the things we touch on is holidays there with the with the uh with the traffic light system probably something to touch on it in, in another week really because there's a whole segment we could do on that but that's interesting was... weren't
0: planning a trip to india anytime no, no no
1: no 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 i mean uh it's co- i mean that they're, they're yeah definitely not but it, the the traffic light system to me already screams like the traffic light system that they tried to implement with the um with The tier system, and I just think that's just going to end in yeah. confusion. And uh, just uh, surely it should just be red and green. Why on earth they've put amber in there amber as well? It's right. just like, well, you shouldn't do, but hey, you know, what can we do yeah. to stop you? It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, the it, it sort of falls between this uh, this wanting to be able to explain everything in full and wanting it to be easy to understand. Sure. And so far, the government have managed to do neither, yeah, uh, oh. with the traffic them it's yeah. there's too little information given for it to yeah. be easy for it to tell you exactly what you need to know mm-hmm. and because of that it's not easy to understand regardless of if they've only given three different classifications to a uh, mm. to a country and i think also one of the hilarious things about it is um say we, we would i guess generally say oh well this country's got less cases than us so they can be a green mm but they would look at someone coming from Britain and say, oh, well, Britain's got more cases than us, so they're not allowed to come here.
1: Yeah, So yeah, but
0: yeah. No yeah. one can win.
1: No, I mean, the, the there's always been semblances of strangeness from, from the UK government. However, I must say that the way they have responded in the, I'll use the football analogy, but, Analogy, but after after basically failing in the first half, they really did turn up for the second half. Largely, I mean, very 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 strong response with the vaccines. I must say, the, the um, yeah, um, you know, from that. But like you said, because there's still going to be levels of strangeness, like the the traffic light system. That to yeah. me just seems like a, a repeat of a mistake they made last year with the bloody tier system nonsense.
0: Yeah, yeah. the the thing is that seems to be about Britain is the expertise is there, like the NHS employees fantastic people mm. the uh, the manufacturing sector is top top quality yep uh, you know the expertise helped develop the vaccines and stuff Yeah. but the management is so poor yeah, uh, yeah. the the when the, once the government let once the government let uh astrazeneca oxford um the nhs be in charge of the things that they were good at yeah things went smoothly yes but we've seen it we've seen it before with the uh, with the government with the uh, with the test and trace app with the ppe contracts they just in terms yeah. of the management at the highest level it's incredibly poor yeah but the expertise that's deals for being mates, managed is,
1: yeah exactly yeah it's uh cut out the middle men and women largely men but um yeah i, I the, the the unnecessary secondary step where there is the, the there is the middle people who seem to um, as you as you say get in the way of, of really the people that should be taking charge of these situations which is it quite a lot it's not been very good largely down to um, not really not really being held to account for as i say mates rates which is something that i mean they're going to do an inquiry into that Next year, like we discussed in the last week's podcast, so you'll all have the results that you were eagerly anticipating when probably the pandemic is hopefully at an end and arguably no one re- will really care then. Maybe that's why it's been postponed until 2022. Anyway, um, one more thing just before we go on to uh, – I- I'm not even going to call it a debate topic, more like secondary big topics. It's not really a debate as such. But uh, just as on the other news stories there is now um, – There is now a plan, not a plan, an ambition, a motion to put railways, to make railways nationalized, again, essentially taking it away from privatized hands. Um, I was reading somewhere as well, the reason why railways generally, privatization of railways generally across the UK has been quite unpopular. Really good point made by someone uh, who I was reading, privatization is used a lot in the UK and can be a very good thing because it can lead to competition, and competition can lead to lots of jobs and increased standards of different other companies dependent on the competitors. And that, again, is probably only a good thing because a thriving economy requires, um, requires healthy competition across the board. However, if you're doing it with trains, you're not really competing with anyone in particular. I mean, ordinarily, in the past, Virgin Trains were your je- almost always your your stop to to get to london from the north uh, northern rail almost always was the transport out of the north into into the bigger cities like um for example uh preston or or manchester or somewhere like that before you got onto a virgin train now avanti coast i think but essentially what happened there was that these companies that owned uh, the trains didn't necessarily have the competition to to worry about standards, the thing they needed, the, the thing that they were most concerned about, is lowering the amount that they were spending on these services and increasing the amount that they were making from these services.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, the competition, to some extent, is encouraged once every five years when the contract gets negotiated, and whichever sure. company bids the most is that's the bit of competition and then but, they do what they like for five years but it's not as you say you're
1: day. right it's not active competition though is it it's not like for example two threads come at the same time you choose which one you want to go on depending i mean that that that's farcical obviously but that's yeah. the point
0: it doesn't really work does it in the in the yeah in the, There's, uh, yeah so the west coast Mainline is of anti of anti-coast yeah. yeah before it was virgin yep yeah. Avanti Coast outbid them this time and they and they get the contract. But it's not like I can say, oh, I, I want to go to London a different way because I exactly. prefer the service on this other train. It's mm. you get what you're given yeah. and you pay what you have to. Mm. And that's that. And I think if the government wants to... Uh, I think the government have probably realised that with the, uh, with the push towards net zero uh, yeah. carbon emissions, they have to really, really push... Public transport to be good. Yeah. They yeah. they they've realized they cannot faff about because at the moment, if I want to go to the south mm. or I want to go somewhere, I go in the car. It's easy, it's mm. comfortable, it's quiet, mm. and it's actually cheaper than the train. Yeah, now, admittedly, on some journeys I would take the train because you know yes. you can kind of sit there comfortably and do nothing for two hours. That's pretty enticing. But I think the That's government of realized work, isn't it, Gus? Huh? What you do at That's work. That's why I don't it? work. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh will well, throw think, your uh, employer in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh yeah, I think the government have realized that if they want to want to push people towards using public transport, public mm. transport has to be good. And if they if the government aren't in directly in charge of it, it can't be to the standard that they want.
1: Well I know it's very different. I worked in China and in China's um again it is very different but China's public transports under governmental control it's one of the best it, it, I mean it, it's chalk and cheese with the UK version it's efficient it's clean it's quite frankly brilliant and in particularly in the city of Shenzhen I know it varies per city in China but in the city of Shenzhen where I where I worked where I stayed it was absolutely remarkable and anyone who had a car was considered to be quite wealthy and middle class because you quite frankly you don't need one. In, in a city like that um yeah. and, it, and it was wonderful across the board and you're right um essentially governmental control will take will will should provide a higher level of standard given that it'll be uh, funded by the taxpayer but um in theory it should as as, as you say uh, be a, be an increase on the standard that we currently have and give people hopefully an incentive to um lower their own carbon footprint by trying to uh Take long journeys on, on on public transport. I mean, just just briefly, Manchester's mayor Andy Burnham's made a massive, massive uh, push to incre- improve um, facilities in Manchester from public transport perspective. Wanting them to be levelled up like London's own uh, public transport uh, services, which are fantastic. Um, and if London's public transport services were like were replicated, even half to half the extent across the rest of the UK. I don't think we'd be having much of a problem with our public transport. the fact is it's completely
0: different. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I agree. And I, I really like cars. I like driving. I think it's fun, <laughs> but, and I, I think I would, even if the, even if the public transport infrastructure was really good. Yeah. Um, much higher to the standard, much, much higher than the standard is that now yeah. I would still own a car and I would still drive it and mm. uh, live in sort of not in a city, you, do so, have that yeah. limitation of yeah. my nearest train station is a 10 minute, 15 minute drive away. Yeah. And it doesn't go to where I work. So that's no. a no go. Yeah. Uh, especially cause it's in the wrong direction from yeah. where I work. So I would still, but you know, if, if I was going to the, if I was going to the South or going up North to Edinburgh, you know, if the, if the, the rail system was better, I would like to think, yeah, I'll, I'll take the train. Mm. I'll, I'll take the train. It's it. Save a bit of.
1: Uh... Would you take Would you take the train over your private helicopter? Uh
0: oh, that's a tough one. It's difficult, isn't it? It's a um, tough
1: one. Yeah. You know. uh, well, you, you just one of the things. I think, I think. I
0: think. I think cars are quite an easy target for. Uh, yeah. Slightly going off topic, but I think yep. Go on. I was at a, I was at a webinar today about uh, regulations. Uh, it was about regu- It was hosted by the uh, Institution of Mechanical Engineers, and it was about. Yeah regulations on the automotive industry and sort of mm-hmm. how manufacturers are adapting to mm. uh, regulations in different markets. Yep. And I asked the question, I said, do you genuinely think that the the bans and the restrictions on petrol and diesel cars are performative and they don't really address the root cause? Mm. And most of the people said, yes, they mm. think they're low hanging fruit, easy to regulate. Um, but I think, you know, to some ex to some extent, you're going to get, you're going to have mm. some, if even if even 10% of people take the train now yep. who wouldn't have gone before, that's a win. Well, I do have a slight argument,
1: I've, I, and I'm always half raising it. I'm not going to do it now because it, I'm going to move on to a different topic. But I always have a slight argument in, in recent weeks that uh, while um, f- battling the, um, you know, f- fighting climate change is an absolute necessity, it's also arguably a little bit... Of a middle class luxury for people who could afford to think in terms of this um, way of thinking, whereas many poorer people who simply struggle to get by in poorer countries, developing countries, they they're expected sometimes to carry the burden of, of climate change uh, regulations. But in actual fact, can they actually do that? Can they afford to do that without putting
0: themselves in a worse position? Probably not necessarily. Go I, I think that's I think that's a I think that's a good point actually. Oh, um, thank you. I think we're seeing. I think we're seeing the likes of. Uh know the likes of certain any any sort of emerging and, country and, i believe
1: and you can attribute that a little bit to the uk as well because remember there's a big uh, dichotomy between those who are very wealthy in the uk and those that aren't i mean what, what are you going to say to someone who's uh who whose vehicle a petrol loan vehicle uh struggling to get by you can't you can't
0: just expect it to be an upgrade to a to an electric vehicle exactly mm-hmm. uh, a, a petrol car that runs mm. my first petrol car was less than two grand yeah like an electric car of the same size yeah. thirty thousand pounds exactly you, there's no use there's no real cheap used electric cars if you yeah. want if you have a thousand pounds and you need to buy a car you buy a petrol car yeah. and it's probably going to be 15 years old and it's probably yeah. not going to be that efficient yeah um and it, the emissions i think the efficiency to some extent is okay in terms of fuel economy but the emissions is where modern cars are really started to make some Mm. some leaps and bounds forwards. And I think, yeah, to, to some extent you don't have a choice really. Um, yeah. And I think some investment going back to, uh, going back to poorer and richer countries, I think yeah. some investment into power infrastructure. And I think particularly in Africa, mm. countries are absolutely perfect for renewables.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, no waste. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to have a, a strong waste management infrastructure. Mm. Yeah. Low carbon power. You get wind turbines. You have got solar panels. You got a lot of uh, a lot of um, a lot of sun in Africa, right on the equator. You know. Yeah. I think the investment has to be made, perhaps from richer countries. I, of no, sort it absolutely of does. Of altru- like an altruism yeah. sort of sense, where you have to invest because at the end of the day, it's everyone's future. It's it not is. just like, oh, this is this is America's future. So why would we bother? It's like it's everyone's yeah. future. Yeah, no, it is.
1: Um, I definitely did a, a full debate section on that, but uh, without without wanting to jump into one, um, we have to move swiftly on. Really, to not there isn't really a set, set debate section this week. Really, it's more of a of a, a, a an eagle-eyed look, or, or also I, w- I wouldn't even call it eagle-eyed because we're not on the front lines. We're not uh, necessarily Palestinian or Israeli, so we can't give um, a strong view from a personal perspective on that uh, we, we only see what, well, what we see on, on social media in, in terms of in, in, on news channels, from media outlets, from, from celebrity spokespeople. I mean, we've seen lots of people, lots of sporting people come out in favor of, uh, of Palestine actually in recent weeks. And quite frankly, the, the events in Gaza have been awful and, um, and, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is something that's gone on for many, many years. We discussed discussing this before we went on there. Many, many years. Lots of fighting. Lots of lots of anguish. Lots of violence. Lots of death. Um, and recently... Particularly uh, on the
0: Palestinian side for the... Uh, for exactly. The
1: yeah. I mean, Israel have really ramped up their attacks recently uh, on uh, the people of Gaza. And so many children actually recently have have lost their lives, um, and, it, and, it, and it's shocking, really. Um, you, the United Nations have said that the lives of children in Gaza um, are comparable to hell on earth, which is, which is absolutely fair. Um, it's, it's abhorrent, and yet what's quite scary is there is a lack of people in high positions speaking out against this, Joe Biden was quite passive when discussing the situation. Boris Johnson hasn't really drawn himself too much into the discussion. I actually remember when Jeremy Corbyn tried to wade in a few, a few years ago when he was in charge of the Labour Party, the opposition party in in the United Kingdom, he was basically labeled an anti-Semite for daring to speak up for the Palestinians um, in this conflict. And Arguably, that was one of the attacks, one of the insults that really helped to make Jeremy Corbyn unelectable, because many people saw him, among many things, as an anti-Semite and a hater of Jews and someone who could generally cause unrest within the country. So generally, Gus, I mean, I've got my thoughts on this, really, but generally, why are people afraid in power to speak up against Israel?
0: I think it's uh I think people are stuck between a rock and a hard place here mm. to be honest and I think there's one side that in my opinion is very obviously uh being much more unfairly treated by the other um I think for the US and the UK Israel in terms of strategic uh certainly mm. military mm. power is an incredible ally mm. Israel you know they've got they've got uh, effectively us funded nuclear weapons they've got quite a quite a range of, uh, of advanced military hardware
1: Well, the uk That's the uk lovely. do similar things with uh, with saudi arabia don't they they provide yeah.
0: ammunition to countries. yeah military. exactly um and i think yeah the, effectively a lot of the a lot of the israeli military hardware is us and uk funded and I think I think at this point, if you speak out against Israel, it's pretty, it's sort of sort of low-hanging fruit to say, you know, it's an easy, it's an easy, it's an easy counter argument to say, anti-Semite. It is. Um, But I think from from my perspective, you know, you've got Mm -hmm. two countries who Mm -hmm. believe they have, who both believe they have the right to this piece of land. Yes. Uh, But from my perspective. Palestine and Palestinian people seem to be peaceful. They seem to be there first. They were settled there. Yeah. And they're being forced out. I think it was seven hundred and fifty thousand yeah. Palestinian people have yeah. been forced out. Yeah. Um. Which is insane. Um. And one of my uh, one of my friends actually, she is Palestinian. Um. She doesn't live in Palestine, but they have. I believe it's like a, a deed to a piece of land in palestine mm. and apparently people from the israeli government have been trying to buy they, they try and buy off them year on year offering insane amounts of money they're effectively trying to erase this whole country yeah uh, the country of palestine from exists from the map yeah, yeah they're trying to take everything everything that was palestinian and just sort of erase it um mm. what's crazy, crazy as well pretty um, heartbreaking scenes from what you can see on TV and on social media as well.
1: What's crazy as well is I know a few people, general, you know, general people not too interested in political stratosphere, not too interested in necessarily all the big debates that go on, as I say, in the world. And they, I remember, spoke to me, because we were talking about this a while ago, and they told me they, they'd looked into it for 20 minutes of reading, 20 minutes, just to, just a bit of a, you know, a, uh, scour into Cruise. a topic of interest yeah and they came out with the conclusion that the Palestinians are the are the ones that are being oppressed they are the ones who are suffering at the end of this and they asked me they were sort of saying well how come this isn't talked about and it, it, it's really scary how it's canceled and you're right it's cancelled because it's a conflict of interest for those in 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 power because as you say the 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 ammunition, Um, for many countries in the Middle East, is provided by Western forces like the UK, like the US. And it's very, it's very strikingly worrying when we see acts of terror from the Middle East coming into Western countries and then Western leaders coming up and saying, well, actually, we need to fight this terrorism. Well, you say that, but yet you fund it as well. And you say... And in this case as well, in particular, um, it's quite different, of course, because, again, you're not actually fighting out against this. But like you say, because if if someone comes out and, and, and attacks Israel and then they say, well, we won't buy your ammunition, then that country loses a lot of money, negative impact on trade deals, and also maybe causes some friction between the forces of Israel and the forces of western countries as well so yeah so many conflicts of interest from there but it's still quite striking and scary how the argument is so one sided from those at the top and when people like you say do try to come out and, and say something against it they're just branded an anti-semite and and, and they're essentially cancelled like Jeremy Corbyn was often speaking out in favor of the palestinians
0: yeah it's a very uh... It's um, it's the sort of the uh, I believe, in, 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 sort of in my opinion, I would mm. say. Uh, I, I, last time I was here, we talked about uh the death of Sarah Everard, mm. um, and there were some pretty horrifying statistics about sexual assault, mm. and there was the whole "not all men" kind of deal. Yeah, uh, you know where people. It's sort of it's sort of along those lines where the people who would call someone an anti-Semite for saying Israel's out of order mm. are probably not the people who really care. They're just using it to deflect. Political gain, know, isn't it? More Because they know, yeah, it's political gain because they know that by saying that, they're in a strong position. They're in a position that can't really be argued against, mm-hmm. or at least not effectively. Yeah, And they get some sort of moral high ground from it for starters though I th- well well not for starters but generally
1: anti-semitism gen- do, i mean don't get me wrong i think anti-semitism did exist actually even in in the in the period of when jeremy Corbyn was there i don't think that's in doubt because there were reports of jews gen- generally being quite horrified and i suppose there is a fine line between being anti-zionist which i think is more related to the, you know the current events that are going on and, and disagreeing with the way that israel are acting as a country and being yeah. anti-Semitic, which is essentially just hating Jews for them being Jews. Um Yeah. So that's a uh, big distinction.
0: The, yeah, the, the, it's, the, it's the, the classic thing of hate the government, not the people. Yeah. Um, doesn't and, mean that
1: anti-Semitism doesn't exist, by the way, because I think it does in the UK. We've heard many examples I, I think, of it. I think yeah.
0: anti-Semitism exists. Absolutely does.
1: Um, that's not acceptable. That's just, that's just another form of racism, isn't it?
0: Of course. Yeah, of course. and I hate the people is easy to say but it's not necessarily easy to to rationalize for a lot of people mm. um because to some extent the people in the country are the people who who give the country what it is mm. um but you know i think to some extent the the, the israeli people who are committing these acts, they've either been ordered to or they've been led over their whole life by uh, effectively propaganda to believe that what they're doing is right. Yeah. yeah. Um, as, you, as you say, really. It's, it, which it, is, once again goes back to the government.
1: Yeah. It, it's an issue that isn't like it's going to get resolved soon. It, it's striking how openly biased certain senior speakers are and more, in a more from a more short-term perspective, I do hope that some of the, there is a bit of respite for some of the children of, in Gaza, some of the Palestinians who are, who are, you know at this moment in time as, as, as the United Nations said it in, in a hell on earth and it's absolutely tragic. And hopefully, like you said, the, the, the conflict's probably unlikely to end because it's been going on for such and such a long time, decade and decades. but hopefully the, these recent events do, tame a little,
0: um, and and and, the, and as I say, the... I hope so. I don't think this. I don't think this level of conflict is sustainable. No, but like I said before, it's it's two nations of people who both believe they have the right to this land. Yeah, and I should say that as doesn't well, get resolved easily.
1: I should say as well, violent, uh, I hope it ends from uh, from the violence perspective on both sides, because of course there will be some Israelis who are murdered as well, just for in in essence carrying out orders um or or as you say being living in living in a in a in a way that makes them they've almost been indoctrinated into 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 a way of thinking that they have to do this and you know violence is never good on either side so hopefully as we say there could be some kind of resolution in that field at some point anyway on to u.s politics we kind of touched on it a little bit there in terms of in terms of the response uh, um, of Biden in Gaza, which was quite passive. Um sorry, Biden on, on the Israeli-Palestinian um, conflicts was quite passive. Um back to the um to the US in general though. And yeah, I mean one of those really. Um the general discussion has, has again been revolving around their their discussion on On Israel and all their lack of discussion from the lack of discussion from Joe Biden on Israel I suppose it's worth remembering when when Donald Trump was in charge he actually sent um, his Jewish um, son-in-law Jared Kushner to try and um, to try and mend relations between the two countries like it was something one man who was a celebrity uh, married to his daughter could achieve so it's, it's, it wasn't necessarily too much better under under Mr. Trump, nor was it under previous administrations before him. Um, but it's, it's interesting because there are some suggestions that, um, I mean, The Guardian, for example, in the UK, believes that the US's um, relationship on Israel does need to change. They do need to get a little bit more tough. Um, again, he said he wants, you know, Joe Biden said that he wants it all to go away. He says, you know, he says they need to find a resolution amongst themselves. Um, quite empty words, as, as as they've said. The Guardian in, in, in Britain suggests okay. that. He needs to strengthen his language and he, he really needs to to hammer home the message. He's the leader of the free world. We've discussed the reasons why he probably won't or has been reluctant to do that. Uh, but the, I suppose, that, again, the longer the, the, this goes on, the longer these actions go on. Um, he's, so far, Biden's been the man. Almost a representative of, of the left wing of American politics, he's been very inclusive to lots of progressive ideas, ranging from LGBTQ plus communities to to radical new green environmental deals. Is this an, is this this will be radical? But is it the next step? I mean, the, apparently the majority of America, by the way, still there's still a majority that are in favour of Israel in terms of the general people's opinion, but. Biden has been the voice of the of the left, and, and, and is it a time for another radical statement from the president on this?
0: Uh, I hope so. Uh, I don't think it would be too too radical to uh, show a bit of support for the for the Palestinians. I think at this point, Biden probably, has, dare I say, has had enough of. Uh, dealing with the middle east mm. um i think i think that from from what you said there it sounds like he's trying to avoid getting into another unwinnable war essentially um worth remembering extent, his, his troops he, out of he, afghanistan as well hasn't he press wrote before and he had yeah he's had bad bad press about that before whether it's missile strikes in yep. iran uh whether it's the Iraqi War un- in the uh, Obama administration, mm-hmm. I think I think Biden's had. I think Biden's smart enough to know at this point that he gets bad press whenever he gets involved in conflict in the Middle East, and he's mm-hmm. ultimately tr- seems like he's on the fence this time, mm-hmm. uh, which has then sort of led to this sort of sort of disconnect where one group of people are saying you're not doing enough to support Palestine and another group of people are saying, oh, well, we're in favor of Israel. And it's sort of like a, you know, America's mm. a divided country. Yeah. Um, has been for many years. Yeah. And it probably will continue to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I suppose so. Quite, quite well summarized. Um, there's also um, a report from uh, the, from the uh Repu- from the republican party and and um well not from directly from the republican party actually from the bbc um claiming or stating that the republicans uh have defied trump or some of the republicans have defied trump uh to back the democrats in the capital riot probe so essentially they want to investigate in more detail um the the events that happened on in January, the horrific events where the Capitol was 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 rioted, there were big protests largely by Trump supporters claiming the election was was fixed. And now uh a selection uh, of um of Republicans have sided with the Democrats, 252 275 um in the House of Representatives, um, to allow um a probe essentially into into that event that happened in January. I mean it was quite shocking. Um, I guess, I guess it's quite it's quite obvious that Trump did incite some level of violence there with his words. Um, are you surprised that the Republicans or some of the Republicans helped the help the Democrats out with um, with with essentially putting that bird forward?
0: Um. It's a surprise to hear the numbers being that strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at, at this point, if you're a Republican, yeah, a, a, the majority of the Republicans hated Trump at at, at that point. I think he, he strayed so far from what the majority of the party was really going to. But he still does have a strong core base, doesn't he? Quite. It's, it, there's still an argument that he does have. He does have a. He does have a dare I say a cult following? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, he has a strong. Yeah, he does have a strong base mm-hmm. uh, of people who still somehow believe that he is God's gift to uh, to politics in the free world. Yeah, uh, but I think I I can understand why some some acts that are on this level have caused a division in the Republican Party. Um, mm-hmm. I think. I think uh, probably as many Republicans as Democrats, mm. or maybe not as many, but I think enough Republicans know how wrong that was, mm-hmm. um, and know that ultimately Trump probably was in some way uh, goading uh, or inciting follow, yeah. um, some sort of violence, or yeah. So I think I'm I'm uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yes. Uh, I would say that, that the numbers are that goes. strong in favour of it. Yeah.
1: No, i be interested to see how it goes anyway. Uh, enough with the American politics really. And we'll, we'll try and end with a somewhat amusing uh, news story. I saw one this week, actually um, quite mainstream to a point. Um, Nigel Farage back in the news again, this time with, uh, he was planning to do an America tour or, or a tour across, um, across America. He's been advertising it quite a lot recently, um, on his social media. Um, and essentially lots of people have decided to buy tickets to Nigel Farage's event without turning up, um, or proposed event without turning up. Sorry. I think he's done this before. Um, Nigel's actually quite happy because it's improved his publicity. Um, kind of like how
0: they did, uh, kind of like how they did at the Trump rally, uh, I believe it was last summer yeah everyone got hold of a ticket and then decided not to show it's called america's, comeback tour. Yeah, a america's
1: comeback tour yeah um, and it's uh, essentially he's essentially saying that you know the uk has defeated socialism which i suppose technically is true given the current state of, of the uk it seems to be very pro-capitalist and Yeah, he's essentially saying, although you'd argue that many of the measures shown in the pandemic were actually socialists, so maybe maybe there's that to debate. Um, But... um...
0: uh, There's people who really liked the... uh, Oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but there's people who really liked the... uh sort of vaccine the vaccine program Mm. and the stimulus checks Mm. who were who were clearly on the right wing themselves Mm -hmm. and they didn't realize that they were actually socialist policies that were effectively being forced on the population to keep them alive or to keep people afloat and they didn't realize you know that that's effectively what socialism is yeah I mean, Farage,
1: I don't know if this really class is funny news. It's, it's somewhat amusing that people will go to the lens, like you say, about Trump to get tickets beforehand to stop and then actually attend to make it look like an empty venue where he's not um, you know, talking to anyone. But he also had another, um, another um, competition going on where you can win a, a pint with Farage and, five, and a five-star overnight stay in a London hotel um, for you and a friend. Um, although this was this was uh, this this competition is now closed. Again, that received some somewhat, I think, amusing uh, amusing comments down there. Um, although lots of people really supportive. I think second prize is two pints with you. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so we've got some um, yeah, got some interesting things there, and uh, yeah. Can we go out for a milkshake instead? Another one writes after I think someone someone threw a milkshake over him when he was campaigning for the for the Reform Party, which now he stepped down from. So I think it still exists in some capacity. But um, yeah, I think just summarising that really the reason why it does seem quite if you don't know Nigel Farage is generally or you don't really keep up to date with it. Um, generally, he's considered to be one of the fathers of Brexit. Um, and to be honest, he did he did. He did he, he was fought, fighting that for his most of his entire life, certainly his entire political career. So in a backhanded kind of way, there is some level of respect there for, you know, fighting until your dream is achieved, I guess.
0: Ironically, his, yeah. uh, ironically, he's married to a, uh, to a German lady, I believe. Um, well, I'm always
1: skeptical to be honest with you with Farage. I always think, is he actually, actually racist or is he, playing up to a group of people who he knows like to hear these kind, this kind of language and this kind of rhetoric. Is he just the
0: the male Katie Hopkins?
1: Something like that. I don't think he's quite as extreme as Katie Hopkins. She's crazy, but um, yeah, I've seen Katie Hopkins. I think she was on Celebrity Big Brother. Um, Completely different in some elements to her more combative, aggressive, crazy self. Uh, which again makes me think, are they playing up to a character? But yeah, that, the reason why it is kind of amusing is because there is this idea that Farage really does switch his opinion, switches mindset, switches passion depending on where the cash comes. So you know, if someone said dress in a bunny suit and hop down a street, Farage like Boris Johnson would probably do that because you know, that's where the money is. Uh, so it is somewhat amusing that he would be playing in from. of It's not I guess. too far
0: from what he's been doing on, uh, yeah. on not too
1: far from cameo, what he's been doing cameo, on Fiverr. Cameo. I mean, you know, people... cameo? <laughs> yeah. cameo. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. 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 It's cameo. Yeah. 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 He, he, he does. He does. It is somewhat amusing and he is, to be honest, despite all the, um you know, he's certainly not my favorite politician. In fact, I disagree with most things he says. However, um, he certainly is kind of game for a bit of a laugh if, if there's a paycheck at the end of it. And I think that cameo account really does justify that. Um although again, I think the last laugh was on the people who thought he was I mean, doing I'd be game for a laugh. Yeah, a day, I know, yeah. As well. Yeah, he, he got like thirteen thousand, I think, or fourteen or fifteen thousand of untaxed cash. Yeah. He's... he's having the last laugh on those people. Everyone's going, he's Oh Nigel Yeah, Nigel's this, Nigel's that. Yeah. Nigel's rich. That's what he is. Um so yeah people d- paying
0: him uh, people paying him 75 quid to say sausage pasta exactly I'd take that
1: money exactly you absolutely would take that money anyways that's that from from this episode big thanks to Gus for stepping in late when uh, Reagan got locked in the pub
0: thank you for having me
1: very very good uh and join us next week for uh, more discussion more insight into the world of politics probably a bit more um of an understanding of of any any variant levels and I suppose by next week we'll have again a more broad understanding as to whether Boris Johnson's roadmap will go ahead as planned At this moment, it looks like it will do. So that's something to raise your glass to. Take care, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Be sure to follow at 15, uh, not at 15, mothpod that's the other account. Actually, do follow that because that's my other um, podcast account. But also follow at Pint and poll with one L. Um, Not the most active Twitter account in the world, I must be said. Uh, That's because I'm a very busy person. However, if you do send a DM, then I would be more than happy to answer it in a generally comedic and sophisticated way. Take care, stay safe, and thanks for listening.